0: Welcome to Wellness Rebranded. We know there is so much conflicting health and fitness advice out there.
1: And you're tired of the wellness fads, endless diets, and impossible standards that make you feel like nothing you do is ever enough. You're ready to tune into your
2: mind and body and feel empowered around health.
0: We're the Healing Trio, here to help you redesign your relationships with food, fitness, and yourself. I'm Elizabeth, registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. I'm
1: Maria, licensed mental health therapist. And I'm Tara, personal trainer. Together, we're changing the narrative on health away from diet culture, hustle culture, and toxic positivity and towards healthful self-care.
0: So grab your water bottle, get ready to laugh, learn, and grow.
1: And and let's let's start start
0: rebranding your your wellness journey. Welcome back to another
1: episode of Wellness Rebranded. We have an awesome guest here today. At Teen Savvy Coaching, Samantha Straub helps parents of teens and tweens step into their parenting role with calm and confidence. A licensed clinical counselor, veteran educator, and longtime school counselor, Sam coaches parents to tame household chaos and strengthen the parent-child connection while also maintaining healthy boundaries. She gives parents the tools they need so the whole family can move from surviving adolescence to thriving during this exciting time of growth and transition. So Sam, welcome to our Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and to talk with you ladies. Yes, I have known Sam for a very long time. She was the school guidance counselor in my children's school. We have kids similar ages. I think of you, uh, I asked you before we hopped on, what title do you like to have? For me, your title will forever be Teen Whisperer. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. Because that is how I think of you. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to talk with you all today. We wanted to talk to you about having healthy relationships and connections with your teens and talk to us about how that connects with wellness right off the bat.
3: Well, you know, as a, as a therapist, I I would say that wellness, a key component of wellness is the quality of our interpersonal relationships. And I don't know about you or your listeners, but those of you with children, when you're at odds with your children, like your wellness suffers you know, or or when your child is suffering, for that matter, your wellness suffers. Wow. So I would say that the, the what I work I do, enhances family connections, which reduces stress reduces anxiety enhances feelings of connection. Mm-hmm. It, it, on a chemical level, like it produces more dopamine and oxytocin, those are all those are like feel good chemicals, right. But but just on an interpersonal level, Connections really matter, and
1: nothing's more important than the connections in our nuclear families.
2: Yes, it makes
3: so sure. much sense. That yes. old
1: saying, "You're only as happy as your unhappiest child." It's
0: true, yeah. right? Hundred percent,
3: right? All three of you are parents. You know, I, I know, have different age groups, but like, like when your child is agitated, upset, going through something, like it, it carry you carry that in your heart and on your head too, right?
0: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So
3: I would say the work I do, it, it it it's in part about interpersonal relationships, um, but also I think when you feel like you're out of your depths on something, that's a stressor, and it's easy to feel that way as the parent of a teen or a tween because you're like, I just got this, and and frankly, like elementary school kids are very straightforward to parent and relative to other phases because they can talk to you like unlike infants where you know you can't you don't know what's going on they can talk and you can understand what they mean their problems are relatively straightforward and like a hug from your parent often solves a lot of ills you know Mm -hmm. not all of them but but like when you hit adolescence all this stuff goes on in your body and your kid's body where their brains start functioning in qualitatively different ways and you as a parent are can be wondering like is this me? Like, are they, are they acting kind of in this off the wall way? Because I have some, I'm somehow dropping the ball as a parent. Is this normal developmental stuff? And then even if you can answer those questions, you might not be able to answer, well, how do I help them? Because the territory is new. So that, that feeling right there is stressful. And so I think some of the work I do, right, is also helping parents determine what's normal and what's not, so that they can just like feel calmer and, and as you said, Elizabeth, more confident in their, um, in their responses.
1: Yeah. So what do you think, um, I actually have a question that's maybe an unusual first question, but I'm curious, what do you think are the biggest mistakes parents make in trying to communicate with their teens?
3: Yeah, I I have a quick answer to that. Like it's the thing that most of my clients, this is the biggest mistake that parents make trying to do too much in one sitting. Mm it's a mistake that I think we've all made where you're like, I need to communicate all of my parenting messages right now because I have you as a semi-captive audience. And so I'm going to, I'm going to like parent dump. And my advice is always like, give it, give out your parent wisdom in doses that your child can, can ingest. And then we talk about how to do that. But I think that's a big mistake.
2: Such a great point. And you know what, I think it applies not only to your relationship with your child It's really to your relationship with your partner, co workers, you don't want to dump all the things that you want to happen, or that you are, you know, your expectations in one conversation. Like, I don't even (laughs) think we're, you know, meant to do that all at once.
3: Yeah, I call that I I recommend drive-by parenting. I, I said most kids cannot tolerate a parking session, right? Like you just have to <laughs> drive by, drop some wisdom out the window, and keep going.
0: Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I love that analogy.
3: Yeah. They just like they just some of them get overwhelmed and you know when your kid can take more than than. A little bit, you know, like they give you signals when the iron mm-hmm. is hot, but most of the time the iron is cold. And so you have to do it in like small doses.
1: Yeah. And it's such a great point because I think there's times when, if I'm being fully transparent and honest, I know that my kids are probably done hearing from me, but yet I'm not done. And so I still keep trying.
2: Yes. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. not alone.
3: <laughs> Thank you. Well, and that's because we we are humans too, and we have needs. And so when we're like, I'm uncomfortable because I think my child doesn't know something they need to know for like functioning, you know, um, and I know what it is they need to know. The idea of not telling that, telling them right now yeah, is agitating to us. Yeah, right. So a lot of times we feel like we 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 unload our stuff because we're like, this is critical information for them. But I would say that, I mean, I mean most times parents aren't wrong. It is critical information, but critical information delivered in an in the wrong way, it doesn't go in. So it doesn't yeah. matter.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good thing to remember. So Sam, in the notes that you made for this episode, I see that you're talking about research. Um shows that kids who report feeling well connected to their parents has like a ton of benefits. Yeah, can you talk yeah. about that research?
3: Yeah, studies ha- like have repeatedly shown that kids who who feel like they have strong connections with their families with their parents, they make better choices around substance use. They're at le- less risk for addiction and and unhealthy substance use, though they have better romantic relationships, they're at less risk for like running towards a significant other to fill a connection need that they're not getting at home. Okay, right. They're at less, consequently, they're at less risk for abuse, um, like relationship abuse, they are at less risk for depression, they express more optimism, like all these things that are protective factors for the world, start with quality connections
2: at home. And I want to make sure for our listeners that it's not a cost effect thing, right? I want to make sure that everyone knows that if there's anybody out there that has a kid that is abusing substances, is not because you didn't have a good connection, right? Thank you. It's that's not, accurate. No, right. Yeah, that's,
3: that's totally accurate. All of those things that I just went over, those risks, like a- any child is susceptible to them. The right. research shows that, that the risks lower Correct. those who have stronger connections with their families. Thank you, right. Maria, for that.
2: And it's a great tool. I mean, absolutely. You mentioned protective factors. And for those, for our listeners, protective factors is anything that is going to lower the probabilities of, you know, things happening like, yeah, substance use or mental health disorders or things like that. And yeah, it makes so much sense that having that connection with your kids creates so many things or, you know, Create the environment for kids to thrive the best we can, right? And it's such a good thing to have.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, and also, you know, parents, I say this is something else I say in, in addition to drive by parenting. I always say, parents, you are your child's first and most important mirror. So mm-hmm. when they look at you, you need to be behaving and interacting with them in a way that reflects back, not every time you interact with them, but like on an overall average way, you're okay the world is a safe place for you, and you can do it, mm-hmm. right? Of course, I love you is how we usually do this, you know, that's what we say, but our behaviors have to also indicate, like, I believe in your capacity to, to do things, right? You you can do it, and I'll teach you how to do it. We as teenagers are more likely to drink in those messages when we feel like we are well-liked, we can trust our parents, they are predictable, right? Like, we, we, we understand the the rules say this. And when I break it, they enforce it, right? There's predictable boundaries in the household that all creates an atmosphere of safety and trust, which means that when you act as that mirror, they're going to believe you, right? They're going to take in the message. And when kids walk out into the world feeling like, okay, I can do it. I am an okay human being. They, that, that's the protective factor that you were referring to Maria and they tend to do better. They tend to take the good kind of risks and not the bad kind of risks. Mm. Like they tend to take the risks that result in growth. Like I'm going to try and make a new friend or I kind of wanted to go out to the play, but I'm for the play, but I'm a little scared. I'm going to do it anyway. Like those are the good kind of risks that teenagers take when they are well-connected with their parents. And as adults, who I presume are the ones listening to this podcast because rare are the teenagers who groove on podcasts, yeah. um, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> as adults, when we know our kids are more prone for the good kind of risks than the negative kind of risks, we can rest easy.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, Sam, you make me think you mentioned the word growth. And it makes me think that in my case, motherhood taught me how to grow myself because I had to learn how to be in a good emotional mental state to provide All these things that you're describing, because if you're coming from a place where you are struggling yourself, it's really hard to connect with your kids in a positive way or in a way that is going to serve as a protective factor, right? So how important it is to maybe, I want to hear your your take on this, to go hand by hand, the importance of doing work on yourself to not, because that's going to come out in the way you parent.
3: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you're, if your cup is empty, you're going to be trying to parenting. What I say is you're building a skyscraper on quicksand, right? You can be putting all of the ingredients in place, but your foundation is, is shaky, right? And kids sense that. So, so if you want to be building the skyscraper of your child's, you know, future, make your foundation strong. Cause that's, that you're, that's what it's being built on. It's built on your efforts. Right. Um, And, and as you mentioned, being a parent, it grows you,
0: <laughs> it oh. makes
3: you change, right? I was talking with actually a, a therapy client of mine, not that long ago, I won't go into details, but they were talking about their relationship with their parent. The parent did something unusual for the parent, but like so validating for the kid. Like the parent responded in just the right way, and the kid shared this for me. And I said, "I said," and and the kid was like, "They never would have done this." I said, "You are teaching them. Like being no. your parent is changing your parent. Being your, yeah, like your your parent is changing for the better because you live with them, mm-hmm. right? They're growing because of you. Oh, and, and it was just a neat moment, and because the you know the kid felt like, oh yeah, I as opposed to I'm different from my parents, and I always can't connect like." He felt so validated. It was neat. It was a good experience.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. So what tools do we need in our toolbox to effectively communicate with our teens or presumably anyone?
3: I find that most communication breakdowns between parents and teens happen during what something I call change conversations. And that is when you're asking your child to change in some way. And the change could be, change from one state like go from being in bed to being awake to going out the door to school right that's a change conversation or i'd like you to approach this task differently that's a change conversation i'd like you to get this task done i'd like you to stop behaving in this way towards your sister these are all change conversations and i'd say that those are the types of conversations that tend to lead to confrontation and breakdown so what i teach my clients is I teach them about the stages of change which are as follows um, pre-contemplation that's when you aren't thinking about change at all then contemplation you're giving it a little thought but you're not doing much about it planning so that can be mental planning or putting steps in place so that you can then take action which is the next step and then the last step is maintenance and some some people who will also add relapse which I usually do because teenagers when they do make change, it's usually not like a steady uphill battle or, you know, line. It's like a jagged uphill line. They fall backwards periodically. And what I find with change conversations is that most parents enter at planning or action. And teens are often at pre-contemplation or contemplation. Right. So parents come in thinking, hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And the kid is like, I'm not even, what, what? Mm-hmm. Right. They, they're not even there yet. And- That was a great impression of a teenager. And a a parent is like, how could you not be there? This is like the most basic and most obvious. Common sense. Yes, right. Like it's time for school. You go to school every single day, right? Monday through Friday is when you go to school and you go to school at this time. And it's this time. What made you think today was a different day? But teenagers, some of them, because of um, still developing executive functions, which are the skills in charge of that we need to adult, essentially, they don't always pick up on these patterns or they pick up on them sometimes, but not others. So when a parent enters a conversation, they're usually at planning or action. And oftentimes their kids are not caught up with them. And so that can create friction and resistance from the part of the teen and like incredulity from the part of the parent. Like, I can't believe that we're here. so what I teach parents is, A, that those stages of change. And then I teach them methods of communicating with their teen, but also with anyone. This is a very dignified way to talk to people for how you can shift people through the stages of change. And it starts by meeting them where they are, not dragging them to where you are.
1: Wow. And
3: so it's slower. It, it involves open-ended questions. It involves reflecting back what you observe and understand and feel, right? Like what feelings you're having while the change conversation is taking place is rooted in something called motivational interviewing, which is a form of, it's a therapeutic form of intergen- of speaking with someone that was, that was initially used to work with those battling substance use. Right. And when you think about teenagers and those battling substance use, there it's, there's actually some similarities in that most, like if, if someone who's dealing with a substance use issue comes into therapy, they either want to change or someone has put them in therapy who thinks they need to change, right? It's always a change conversation, but there's this like neurological thing in the way called addiction that's getting in the way of their ability to change or to want to change, right? If, if it's mandated, right? And when it comes to teenagers, it's the same thing. Like someone wants them to change and their brains are in a certain place where they can't get behind that change, or they're like, yeah, I want to, but I can't pull it off. So it, it's not dissimilar. I mean, I'm not comparing those who are battling addiction to people who have like, like the brain of a teenager. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there are hurdles between the wanting to change or someone wanting to change and the ability to do so in both situations. And so this type of questioning
2: is useful. And it makes sense. and I think when you put it that way, it also takes so much responsibility from the teenager, because many times we take it personally. It's like, how, how is, how come you cannot do this? But again, when we really understand that they're trying to do all these while they have an adolescent brain, and we really understand that, you know, the, the, what is behind an adolescent brain i mean the first time many years ago when i heard that those brains are our brains are not fully developed until around age 25 it's like oh okay we're asking other human beings to do things from our adult brain to a brain that is not there yet it takes away a little bit of the pressure i feel of how much we ask from our adolescents.
3: Yeah, and it can be mystifying to know when you can ask them. Like, because sometimes adolescents can really rise to a challenge, and and the the adolescent brain being under undeveloped, it actually one part of the brain is actually very well developed, and that's the emotional reactivity part of the brain. When you hit puberty, that like skyrockets, and that but the part of the brain that's in charge of regulating emotions and then doing all those other things like planning and consequential thinking and emotional attunement, like paying attention to others' emotions. Time management, like knowing how long a minute is, knowing how long five minutes till dinner is, you know, like uh, starting things that are boring, stopping things that are fun and but not not good at the moment, like inhibition. Those are all executive functions. And that's the gap. So they're really emotional. And the ability to do all the stuff that that you need to in order to regulate those emotions or override those emotions, that doesn't come till age 25. Mm-hmm. So what we see is kids and but that part of the brain works decently well so long as there's no emotional agitation. So you can see a kid who's like a great problem solver and does functions very much like an adult under some circumstances. You put that kid under a certain type of stress, you make them afraid, nervous, feel that make them feel judged, and suddenly they function like a totally different individual. And that's because their emotional brain is hijacked the rational brain, because it's very easy to, for that to happen during adolescence.
2: And sometimes we create that, you know, thinking that through fear or bringing them down is how we're going to get responses. And really, human beings, not only adolescents, human beings in general, I wouldn't think would work that way.
3: Well, we do respond to fear, but it doesn't, it's not great for the relationship. So no. like, like you know, what I, when, as I coach parents, like I'm saying, you know, you you can get your child to fall in line through threats and fear. It, it does actually work, but it doesn't result in long-term healthy connections. And what I want for families is both of those things. I want for kids to internalize values, to operate within a set of guidelines, and to feel really connected and supported by their families. And I want parents to feel connected
0: and liked by their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give us a couple more tips on how to keep the parent-child relationship strong?
3: Um, Well, I think of a relationship like a bank, right? And um, so I I always say, like, make sure you're putting three to five times as many deposits in as your teen is making withdrawals. Mm -hmm. Because adolescent behavior, it, it does actually create a lot of withdrawals, because there's so many of those change conversations, like, hey, do something different, be something different right now, right? That's a withdrawal. So deposits are anything that communicates to your kid I like you and I'm here for you what I say is if you're going to offer praise to your kid that's a deposit but you can't throw a party when you offer praise Mm -hmm. so an example is like Tara if you were my my son I have a son so let's say you're my kid and and I've been asking you to make your bed or change your sheets this is this is getting very real, actually, um, and and you delay, 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 and you finally do it. I could say, oh yeah, like it took you a week, man, right? It did take a week, but I could say. Uh, the other thing I could say is thank you for changing your sheets. I have been asking you for a while, right? Like. Whereas, and that's like a deposit, I'm not throwing a party, right? But thank you for changing your sheets. I could even say, thank you for changing your sheets, your bed looks really good.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: Right? You did a nice job making your bed. Mm -hmm. Because we want to praise behavior, we want to see repeated. So that's one of the things I say is, is be intentional about putting deposits in the relationship bank. Teens really like novelty. Also, like they, they like, when things get mixed up, you know, in a, in a good way. So like doing little surprises for your teen. And that could be as simple as like uh, um, in my household, for example, I make dinners most of the time, mm, half the time, let's just say, and then we eat leftovers or chicken tenders, but, but <laughs> I, I'm, we're, the, the adults are in charge of dinner in my house um, and everybody's on their own for breakfast or lunch and snacks. But like an act of love that I might show my teen and it's also an act of novelty is like I might put together a plate and bring the plate to where they're doing their studying or even just like playing video games. Hey, I made you a a snack. I thought you might like it. Mm -hmm. And I don't usually get and I don't do that so that someone falls at my feet and says, thank you. You're such a great mom. I'm so glad Mm -hmm. you're in my life. Right. That's not that would be
2: great. But yes, (laughs)
3: that's not ever what happens. But I do. Thank you oh, pepperoni and crackers. Okay. Right. Like I get some kind of like, I I do get a positive response and it tells my kid, Hey, my mom likes me enough to do random acts of kindness.
0: Right. So my um, mom did this when I was growing up, um, when I got to high school, maybe like once a year, she would let me take like a mental health day. And I might stay home and watch movies and just chill, or maybe we, me and her would go to lunch and shopping or whatever, but like every now and then she would let me do that. And here it is like, you know, 20 years later, and I'm still talking about how great that was.
3: Cause it was like, I see you, I care about you. And you know what, like your needs matter to me, like expectations be damned, right? Like that's yeah. that. How, what a great message that she sent, right? Mm-hmm and she wasn't saying you get a mental health day every week because you're afraid of something and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you escape from it it was simply like I want to be with you or you deserve rest you know and and fun those matter too yes yeah um and and I would say that another thing is to stay well regulated yourself
0: as a toddler mom that's super hard for me
3: it's super hard for every mom like I'm I, I've got bad news for you Tara no <laughs> It doesn't get easier like, <laughs> because like your child behave, it does actually get easier. I found it when my children were nine and seven, I said to my husband, I could freeze this age. I love this age. They can buckle themselves in. They can get their own snack. They take a bath by themselves. They still want my hugs at bedtime, right? Like it was a great year, year, just the year. That's it, right? Like, <laughs> but they challenge us they press our buttons like who has my heart more thoroughly than my children nobody right right so when they do things that drive me bonkers i feel it more thoroughly than i do somebody else cuz i care a great deal about them and our relationship and so the the need to stay regulated from my own stance when i'm interacting with them i think that's critical and it's something that i also echo to parents when i'm coaching them and parents will say how do i do that right and that's what we work on together sometimes
2: so Sam, I have to say, and for our listeners there, if you haven't worked with Sam, I really encourage you to schedule a call with her. I personally have done it in the past. And what I love about your approach is that you're so down to earth and you make parents feel that they're not alone. Many times we're inside the four walls of our house and we think that our kids are the only ones doing that and we're the only ones responding or reacting to their behavior a certain way. And then when we realize, it, it, at least in my case, that it's part of a whole bigger group and that there are things out there that we can try that sound you know, straight to the point, that are doable at home, it, it it can be life-changing, right? Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's, so I encourage everyone out there to really reach out to you for a discovery call or to start working with you or maybe one of your workshops or classes that you have because it's so worth it. Is You will be putting that, you know, filling up that bank also for your relationship with your child when you get tools like this is something that you're bringing in to your
3: Thank you for saying that, Maria. And, you know, what I what I always tell parents, even parents who are in really high conflict with their teen, I say the only, the best parent for your child is you, mm-hmm. really. Like, there's no other parent who's better for your child than you. The, what they want is a solid, healthy, connected relationship with you. They don't want a random, solid, healthy, connected relationship. Like, you are the best person for your child. And so we work from that standpoint. And that right there is a point of strength for every parent. Right, like you're you, yeah. we're wired to connect with our caregivers, um, and and of course parents are wired to connect with their kids.
2: And I don't know if this if this relates to what you're saying, but I don't know why it came to mind. I heard this a few years ago, and it I really liked it when somebody said, um, because sometimes we have all these um, expectations to, for ourselves as parents of how we should be doing all these things and being the perfect parent for those of out there who have. You know those expectations, but somebody said you only have to be the perfect parent for a perfect kid. Something along those lines, meaning there's no perfect kid, therefore there's no perfect parent. Whatever you're doing is what you're supposed to be doing, and there's always room for improvement. But you know, to take up a little, take away a little bit of that, you know, pressure again of doing in a specific mm-hmm. certain way or thinking that we're always doing it wrong.
3: Uh, yeah, and and good enough is good enough. right? And also kids are so resilient and you get a gazillion do-overs as a parent and as a kid, Yeah. right? So it's not, it's not, it's not the single moments that matter, although there are single moments that do matter, but we don't remember all the moments. What we remember is the, is the vibe we get in general from Mm -hmm. our parents. We have peaks, right? We have some like and pits right we have, we have things that we remember that are like wonderful and awesome like Tara remembers the mental health days those are like peaks those are great peaks right and um, i and, and i'm sure we can all call back pits too from our interactions with our parents at growing up that's normal but what we remember in general is the is the vibe it's like the feeling we got from our relationship with them yeah, and so you don't have to do it perfectly You have to be authentic and you have to apologize when you screw up and I can teach people how to do that and, and to recognize when they've screwed up because boy, teenagers love that. Really? Like, like I was a classroom teacher and I remember like losing my cool at a a class one time, like totally losing it off the wall, like totally losing it. And the next day I said, guys, we got to start class and I need to, I need to apologize to you. Like, I didn't like how things were going, but how I responded was not, not okay. I needed to stay better regulated. I'm, I'm sure I didn't say that, you know, I was in my twenties, mm. but um, you know, I needed to handle myself better. And you know, what was cool. The kids were like, well, so did we, we weren't giving you our best and we'll do better. It, it was like a connection builder in the classroom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I was authentic. I had definitely screwed up. And if I pretended that that screw up didn't happen, like I was asking them to like buy into a reality that didn't exist. It's like, oh, I don't know. It was, it was a good moment. And I feel like that, that can be replicated in families as well.
0: Yes, absolutely. My husband was a teacher for four short years. And um, he, he's famous for saying that every now and then you have to show the class that you're a little crazy, (laughs) (laughs) just like freak out for no reason, just so they know you're not one to be trifled with. So inadvertently, I feel like you did that.
3: (laughs) Maybe, I mean, most of like, what I say is react small to small problems so that you don't have to deal with big problems. And I would say that that's the case in parenting also, like handle small things,
0: small Yes. Redirecting a If you're um, if you're worried about being a good mom, you probably already are. Yeah. And I feel like that gives me yeah. a lot of like comfort, knowing like, ooh, at least yeah. i okay-ish. <laughs> okay-ish is
3: is exactly where all of us are. And as Maria said, most of us feel like we're in this like our these four walls together. You you know like. We're not always sharing our parenting woes. And as kids get into their teens, we share them even less for two reasons. One, out of privacy for our kids. Like when my children were toddlers and they were like dumping spaghetti on the floor, I'm like, how do you get them to keep the damn bowl on the high chair? Right. Like that's not an embarrassing thing to say at the drop-off line. And they're like, use the suction cup bowls, right? Like that that's that's a that's a kind of conversation I might have been having at preschool. But but we're not saying like I found beer in the back of my kid's closet. Right. And where was that being consumed? Like those aren't things that we're saying as easily, or my kid is failing a class or um, whatever my kid's dealing, my kid's depressed mm-hmm. because a, we worry those things happen because we failed as a parent
0: Slightly. and
3: B we don't want to violate our child's privacy. And so we keep a lot of this stuff in our households and we need tribes to know what we're doing and so teen savvy coaching i opened it in part so that i can be a sounding board for parents who are going through stuff as their kids are going through stuff um and and maria you mentioned something like work in a group i'm i'm kicking off a group um, i was just on a discovery call and she was the woman was thinking about signing on for some one on one coaching and i said well i i'm doing this group called the homework cure where we're going to be talking about how to help your child have better homework strategies through the way you interact with your kid and and there's it's you know videos and workshop workbooks but also a live call every week with with other parents and she's like ooh i want that yeah, and, and she's great. like she's yeah. like it wasn't totally homework she was looking for but she's like i want the tribe of parents
0: yeah yeah so, so, so
2: tell people tell our listeners how they can um get in touch with you share your um all your information even though we're going to have it in the show notes please share it here for everyone sure my business
3: is called teen savvy coaching and the website is teensavvycoaching.com and you can find me on uh, instagram and facebook teen savvy coaching and instagram and facebook is teen savvy coaching with samantha straub and you can work with me in several capacities i offer one-on-one coaching you can you can even purchase just a single one-off. I wasn't offering that, but people were asking for it. So you can go onto my website and purchase a single session with me. Um, You can also purchase a group of sessions where you can just have me at your beck and call uh, over time. And parents tend to like that. And like I said, I'm kicking off in January a group program called the homework cure. So if you are dealing with a kid who's an underachiever or a perfectionist or an avoider, um, you know these, these, right? These are some common profiles, and and I'm going to be talking about how to how to navigate those. And if you want to hear more, I think the freebie in the show notes actually um addresses those profiles and gives parents some immediate tools outside of any coaching program that I offer. You get awesome. work, with, work with me through that ebook right away.
2: Love it. Thank Sam, you so thank much. you so much for being here with us for accepting this invitation. I love what you're doing. Please never stop. It's <laughs> needed. And I think you're probably the only one in our, you know, in our community doing exactly this. And it's just perfect. It's is helping already so many families to connect more or at least to have the tools towards that goal.
3: Thank you. Thank you for having me. And right back at you. Don't stop this wellness talk. I'm I'm a big believer.
2: I agree. Hopefully we'll have you back another time and we'll talk even deeper on this topic about adolescence. But thank you for being here with us. Thank you to our listeners. And if you like this episode, don't forget that you can leave a review, you can like, you can share with a friend and we'll see you at our next episode. Thank you for listening. If you want to connect with me outside of this podcast, you can
1: find me on Instagram at coaching underscore therapist. I'm Elizabeth. You can find me at Elizabeth Harris Nutrition or in my Facebook group, Health and
0: Healing with Intuitive Eating. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Tara DeLeon Fitness. Guys, if you loved this episode or any of our other episodes, we would love it if you would leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It really, really helps us get the non-diet word out to the rest of the world. So please leave us a review. Yes. Thank you.